So it is a privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning, and uh, we're currently not on a specific journey, so we're in a free topic time. So uh, really asking God what to be sharing with you this morning. And I thought I'd share something that as I look back at my life that I've been, that I've been challenged with my entire life. Something that as I begin to pick up on it has really got me into a bit of a wrestle. Throughout both my primary and high school years, I was privileged enough to attend a school in the Eastern Cape called Hudson Park. It was a co-ed school that offered a great balance of education, extramural activities, and a whole bunch of sporting activities. Now, being a fairly sports-orientated person, I experienced and exposed myself to as many sporting activities as I could. Rugby, cricket, soccer, Tennis, water polo, squash, hockey, and netball. Don't judge me. I know that some of you have played cricket. (laughs) I was what you would call a jack of all trades where it came to sports. I had the ability to play many sports. And if I could blow my own trumpet for a moment this morning, and I promise I have repented already, I was pretty good at it. Then I got into athletics, and once again, I loved it, taking part in as many of those areas as possible, shot put, long jump, hard jump, until I realized I was pretty fast. And all the cool kids were running, so guess what? Running it was. The 100 meters was my baby. Not quite top step, but I did well enough. And because I did well in the 100 meters, there was this natural progression into the 200 meters, which is where I realized I had a bit of a problem. You see, the 100 meters is a dead straight run. Whereas the 200 meter, you have to to run the bend. And because I had not learned how to run the bend, I I found myself stepping into the other competitor's lane, which had a problem. Immediate disqualification. So why the dickens am I telling you about my illustrious two-month athletics career, you might ask? Well, because as sons and daughters of Jesus... We too are called into a race. And we know this from Hebrews 12 where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We are called into a race for the kingdom of God. And I enjoy what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. He says, all of us should be running this race with the intention to win. However, for us to win, it is crucial that we stay in our own lane. In other words, crucial that we stay in the lane that God has given to us. Crucial because he has given us talents, abilities, and job descriptions that when executed and used well in our own lane, bring him much glory and fruit for his kingdom. Crucial because opposite to earthly beliefs, staying in our lane actually gives us the most freedom and allows us to experience the fullness that he has for each and every one of our lives. Crossing lanes leads us to being ineffective in our race just as it does in a physical foot race. Regardless of how fast we think we are, Regardless of how hard we practiced or trained, regardless of how good we think we are and what equipment we use, when we step over into another lane, it effectively renders us ineffective in God's kingdom. The enemy 
We know it's constantly trying to get us out of our lanes by any means possible. John 10.10, read it last week. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he does this through many tactics. And today I want to just, I want to pick up on one. One of the ways that the enemy, enemy distracts us and gets us out of our lane. And what happens is it effectively minimizes the effectiveness of us as the body of Christ. And he does this through this little thing called comparison. And I know there are many, many sermons out there on comparison. And I will admit that Monday evening as I began to to prep for this, I was sitting there at whatever time at night and I was prepping and I had done an introduction and I'd done X, Y, and Z and I looked down and I had 13 scriptures. 13 scriptures but absolutely no way to tie them together. And I just thought, well, cook. It's Monday night and I've got to preach at the midweek service on Thursday. So what does any hardworking person do? I went to bed. And I woke up Tuesday morning still in a bit of a tiz and I went to work and I just felt God say, Enough. And I want you to simplify your message. I want you to pull out one thing and I want you to preach me. No smoke and lights, I want you to preach me. Comparison is all around us and it happens on a daily basis. And it affects every stage and almost all ages of life. I remember one particular season of comparison in my life where I ended up playing most of my sport with a really good friend of mine. The thing was that in every single sporting activity that we played together, he always seemed to have the edge over me. A couple more runs at a cricket match. A couple more wickets in that same match. A few more goals at water polo. Definitely scores most tries. Whatever we did, he seemed to have the edge over me. And I found myself beginning to compare how I stack up against him. Regardless of the game we were playing or whatever, how do I stack up against him? Did we win the cricket match? No, that wasn't on my mind. Did I score more runs than he did? Did I take more wickets than he did? And what happened is I began to lose some of the joy that I got from playing these sporting activities. I'd love to say that this was the only time in my life that I compared myself to someone else, but I'd be lying if I did. See, every new season that I stepped into seemed to bring along a whole bunch of new comparisons. Comparison is an easy trap to fall into. And we would know that the introduction of social media has only magnified the effects of this thing called comparison. We don't only get to see the lives that that we are physically in contact with. Actually, we get to see so much more of the world these days and what they are up to. And it's easy for us to begin to compare our situations and circumstances to theirs. There are many ways, and I'm sure you would agree, that we could be comparing ourselves to others. Maybe for you it's body types. Maybe you see a magazine or a poster or on Instagram a certain body type and you begin to question, I wonder if I stack up to that. I wonder if my body measures up to that. Maybe for you it's other people's houses or cars. And you see them living in this massive seven-bedroom house and driving a fancy car and you begin to question, I wonder why I can't have a seven-bedroom house. I wonder why I must drive the skadonk while they're driving that fancy car. Maybe on social media you notice that that person always seems to be going to this concert or this show and he's going 
on holiday for the third time this year when you haven't been on holiday once in three years. I mean, do they even work? What do they do with their kids? Do they even love them? And what we find is a little bit of jealousy beginning to creep into our lives because they just seem to be having the most incredible time of their lives. Maybe like I did, we just compare ourselves to those who seem to have an excessive amount of talent. I mean, we're good, right? But they just next level. They've got the edge on whatever they pick up or do. Sometimes we even compare ourselves to good things. We look at someone else's, someone else's spiritual walk and we begin to measure our spiritual walk compared to theirs just to see how we stack up. I wonder if I'm more holy than them. And what happens is we get an inflated view of ourselves or a deflated view of ourselves. And I know I'm just scratching the surface here. There's so many ways that we can compare ourselves to others. I just want to highlight something. I have absolutely nothing against social media. It really has given us a way to be able to stay connected with other people. But we have to remember that we are only seeing the very tip of someone else's life. It's a collage of their most spectacular moments. When they're having the most amount of fun, when they're looking their best. And it's presented and packaged and made available to us, usually at one click of a button. The problem is that we fail to recognize that they aren't posting all the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes. We don't do that, do we? Instead, we see Bob and Susan heading off to another show, posting pictures of the extravagant seven-course meal while we're sitting at home, usually in our pajamas, watching our husband play video games on the couch, eating McDonald's. Someone smarter than me once said, see what I did there? Compared, you'll get it. The fastest way to kill something special in your life is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special in your life is to compare it to something else. Husbands and wives want to kill the specialness of your marriage, compare it to another one. Usually one that you've seen on Instagram. You want to kill the specialness of the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you, compare yourself to someone else. Because their gifts and talents and abilities are always better, aren't they? The fastest way to kill something special in your life is to compare it to someone else, to something else. It's really easy to fall into this trap of comparing. And I know it's not good for us. We know it's not good for us. Every time we find ourselves comparing ourselves to others, we, we know something deep down is not right. It's just not right. And I bet you've never looked back in a time of your life where you've compared yourself to someone else and said, I'm really glad I spent all that time and effort comparing myself to them. But the reality is it still is a struggle. And it is something that we have to honestly deal with. So this morning I want to have a look. That was just the introduction. We've only got 45 minutes left. I want to have a look at an interesting portion of Scripture that will hopefully allow us to better understand why this thing called comparison is so dangerous and what we should be doing to change our mindset so that we don't depart from our lane and fall into this trap. And I want to have a look at the life of a guy 
who has a, a rather unique perspective on it. And his name was King Solomon. And uh, I challenged the uh, midweek service. What was King Solomon's name supposed to be? I mean, this is not part of this. I just want to see how many people. Okay. There was a few more. So well done, huh? Hey, Uncle John stumped. He's like, you really stumped me. And Uncle John knows his Bible. He then tried to stump me, which is obviously Uncle John. As we begin to examine King Solomon's life, we, we get to see how interesting he really was. So a little bit of context. Solomon had whatever he wanted right at his disposal. Anything he wanted to experience, he experienced. Anything he wanted, he had. He had seen a lot, he had done a lot, he had experienced a lot. But after a lifetime of, of living out every desire and obtaining everything that he wanted, he begins to reflect on his life. And he examines the human journey from start to finish, from birth to death. And throughout his reflections, he shares some profound wisdom. Some things that I believe he, he wouldn't have known had he not lived a life full of good and poor choices. And throughout this portion of scripture in Ecclesiastes, the book which you're going to be reading now, we see him using this word meaningless quite a lot. We see him being very, very open about what he thinks about this world and the things in it. And he begins to break down the different aspects of life. And his conclusion, after he's broken down all these aspects, his big idea is this, that a life without God at the very center of it is meaningless. A life without God at the very center of it is meaningless. And we can spend weeks, let me tell you, looking at every aspect, but we do want to focus on this one of comparison. So let's kick it off, Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 4, and you guys can follow on the screen. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. In other words, I want what you have. And I love this because this was written 3,000 years ago, roughly. He's addressing that this thing called comparison was as big an issue back then as it is now. And he addresses this tendency that we have to compare ourselves to others, to look to the left and to the right to see if we're doing okay. He says, hey, I've been watching everyone, and 99 times out of 100, competition and envy of others is what drives their behavior and laughs. Everyone is looking to the left and to the right to see if they're okay. To the left and to the right to see what car they drive, what house they live in, how many kids they have, are their kids well behaved, how many dogs they have, how they're doing spiritually. Their work, their toil, their life is driven by the envy of others, from the envy of others. It's been going on for thousands of years. It's not a new age kind of thinking. Our human nature is to compare ourselves and situations to other people. It's even in our human nature to compare our calling with the calling of other people. Steve mentioned this morning at our volunteers at our hospitality meeting and earlier he spoke about reading John 21 and I love it. And I know you all read the Bible but I wish people who didn't read the Bible would read the Bible. Because it's actually fairly humorous. John 21 speaks of a time they... We're out fishing. Jesus has, has died already. He's been resurrected. Peter says, hey, let's go out fishing on board. So they all do. They jump on the boat. They fish the whole night. They catch nothing. 
Then they hear a voice on the shore in the morning saying, Hey, friends, have you caught anything? And the oaks are like, No, nothing. Cast your net to the other side. They catch 153 fish. Their net begins to tear. And um, they get to shore. And I love it. Jesus is busy cooking breakfast. I mean, oh, what a servant, huh? I'll cook you breakfast. I'm only Jesus, but I'll cook you breakfast. And then out of everyone, out of all the disciples there, says, Peter, come here, I want to have a chat to you. And so Peter goes to him, and Jesus begins to lay it on thick. He says, Peter, I want to, I want to show you, I want to tell you how you are going to bring me glory. I'm going to give you the plan for your life. Can you imagine it? Imagine standing there and Jesus in front of you saying, this is the plan for your life. What does Peter do? Turns around, has a look at John, and he says, what about him? This is Jesus standing in front of you, giving you the plan for your life, and all you can do is say, what about him? And that's the problem with comparison. You will never truly get the right vision for your life when you're you're staring at someone else's. You will never truly catch the vision for your life when you're staring at someone else's. And I love how Solomon says this, second part of verse 4, he says, but this too is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. I want to ask this morning, have you ever tried to chase the wind? Have you ever tried to catch it and put it in a bottle? Anyone? No, because it's pointless. It's silly, and yet we find ourselves comparing. And can I tell you that both yield the same fruit? Both are meaningless. Contentment and an earthly comparison cannot coexist in the same body. We cannot compare and be content. Satisfaction will always just be around the corner. Satisfaction will always just be around the corner. I love, my father was working in a small town in the Eastern Cape called uh, Queenstown and he used to come and fetch us. We, we stayed about 200 k's away and we, uh, where we went to school. And he'd come and fetch us for the weekend. And as we would be driving up, there was a little shop, a little one of these putt stalls that we used to stop at. And as a kid, I was blown away. Because I walked into this little shop and there was a massive sign that said, free sweets tomorrow. I thought, I mean, this is like every kid's dream. Free sweets tomorrow. I said to my dad, I said, we are definitely coming back tomorrow. And because we were still quite far away from our destination, he said, well, son, I've got to explain this to you because we can't come back tomorrow. I said, like, dude, sweet, free sweets. He says, yes, but when we get here tomorrow, the sign's going to say, free sweets tomorrow. And that's the thing with comparison. Satisfaction will always just be around the corner. Verse 5 carries on. It says, fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. Solomon wants to make a point. Before he goes any further, and he says, whoa, 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 stop the bus. I'm not telling you this, so this is an excuse for you to be lazy. He uh, He wants us to see that we should still be driven. We should still be ambitious. We should still be looking to grow. We should still be looking to learn. We should still challenge ourselves. We can't use this as an excuse just to sit on the couch and continue with our McDonald's. Solomon worked hard with the opportunities that God gave him. He was a busy guy, and God had given him lots to be a part of, and he worked extremely hard at it. And God wants us to do the same with our lives, to give 100% of work, to give 100% for our families, to give 100% to look after these bodies that we have been blessed with. So what is he saying? Let's continue. Verse 6, and yet 
Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. I want to remind you that this is not just some random guy posting an inspirational quote on Twitter. This is the richest or one of the richest men at that time. And yet he says, better to live with one hand open because when you do, what you're doing is you're leaving space for God to add and to remove as he sees fit in your life. The other option is to uh, grab as much stuff as you can and to close your hands. But this never leads to peace. Because once you've gathered as much stuff as you can, if you close your hands as tightly as you can, there will always be more. There will always be more. There will always be something that someone else has that you don't have. And Solomon tells us that once you've done that, once you've gathered as much stuff as you can, if you close your hands so tightly, and you're still chasing after things, it's like chasing the wind. Verse 7. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without child or brother. More meaningless stuff. Now the culture of that time stipulated that you could not leave your possessions when you passed to a woman. Don't argue with me. You can go listen to Brent's sermon last week. You couldn't leave your possessions to a, 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 to a woman. The man in the scripture had neither son nor brother. And so he had all these possessions, but he realized he could leave it to no one. Yet, who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? There was no end to his toil. There was no end to his work. There was always more work to be done. There was almost always more things to be had. And finally he stops. And he begins to think, why am I caught in this way of living? Why am I living like this? Why am I looking to my left and to my right to see if I'm doing okay? Why am I not stopping to enjoy the things that God has for me now? The moment we begin to compare ourselves to other people is the moment we begin to limit what God wants to do in our lives. And I love how Solomon wraps it up in verse 8. He says, it's also meaningless and depressing. Solomon called a spade a spade. And he said it's in our human nature to do this, to compare. It's been going on for thousands of years. And unless something is done to stop it, we're going to continue to do this. Continue to step out of a lane and fall into this trap of comparison. Until we stop looking to the left and right, we will compare our situations and circumstances to those around us. Comparing ourselves to others can make us settle for less than what God has for us. Comparing ourselves to others can make us settle for less than what God has for us. You want to grab a hold of something today? There's absolutely no win in comparison. We will never look back, as I said earlier, we'll never look back and say, I'm so glad I spent that time comparing myself to someone else. No one likes losing, but when we compare, it's what happens. We always lose out. So instead of comparing, we need a different measuring stick to see if we're doing okay. We need a different way to see if we are loved and valued. We know this cannot come from comparing ourselves to others, so what do we do? 
And here is some profound wisdom this morning. I did say it was simple. See that you take your cue about you from the God that created you. See that you take your cue about you from the God that created you. In other words, take your orders, take your directions, take your validation, take your acceptance, acceptance from the God that has created you. I love that Paul had this revelation in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. And the more I read this, the more I realize how profound and crucial this is for each and every one of us. He says in verse 11, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's probably one of the greatest bumper stickers out there, but we use it so often out of context. Keeping our eyes on Jesus is the only way that we are going to find true peace and purpose in this world. Comparison is the thief of joy and thief of contentment. There is great satisfaction and liberation to be found in being exactly who God has created you to be. Only you can do you the way that you can do you. Ephesians 2.10, probably one of my favorite scriptures, says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which came first, handiwork or the works? Handiwork. You have extreme value not because of the works you do, but because you are created and pieced together by God. You are his masterpiece. You are his handiwork. So when we look elsewhere for validation or begin to think, I'd be so much better off if I had that or this, then what we essentially do, albeit indirectly, is we begin to say, well, God, I think you've made a mistake in the way that you've made, you, made me. And we know from last week that God doesn't make mistakes. You're God's masterpiece. I love the fact that, that this masterpiece, this handiwork, has a bit of an art connotation to it. I'm not an art fundi. Most certainly not. But I do know that Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. I googled it. I also googled the worth of that painting. $870 million. And it's yay big. It's not even big. It's like small. Now who knows that's a lot of money? That would really finish off our building project quite quickly. I also know that you can get a postcard with the same picture on it for 20 bucks. Exactly the same picture. Same colors on it. The only difference is it's not the original artist. That is what determines the worth of something. Not the, not the colors, not the picture, not even the lady on the picture, but it's who created that piece of art. You and I are valuable because we were created by the master artist. So let me ask this. Why on earth would we want to become a 20-buck knockoff of someone else. Yep. 
We can only find our value in ourselves and through Jesus, not through someone else. There will always be a temptation to compare ourselves, to look to the right lane, to the left lane, to see if we're doing okay. So we have to fight this temptation. It's a daily thing. Paul said, I have learned. He didn't wake up one, one, one morning thinking, I've nailed this, it's never coming back. I have learned. We have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and who he says you are and I am. Rather than turning around and asking, what about him, Lord? Find ways to remind yourself that God made you to be you. Maybe again, we need to find that verse that speaks to you. Ephesians 2.10 for me, we are God's masterpiece, his handiwork. Write it out, stick it somewhere that you see every single day so that you're reminded, actually, I'm created exactly the way I need to be. I think there are heaps of benefits from grabbing hold of this truth. Automatically, we reduce the, the amount of unnecessary pressure that we put on ourselves. The unhealthy pressure that comes from this envy, envy in our neighbor. I want to set some of us free this morning. Maybe I'm just setting myself free. We don't have to keep up with the Jetsons. Honestly, we don't. I've been called to teach God's word as much as I kick up against it sometimes. Who knows Brent's a great preacher? Come on, I mean, that man's amazing. He's been given a, a, a talent and ability to preach God's word well. Can I say that God does, what, does not want me to become Brent? God wants me to be Scott. Can I learn from him? Absolutely. Should I learn from him? Absolutely. Still doesn't mean that I need to turn into him. When you are not focused on trying to be someone else, you are able to enjoy what God has given to you. You are able to celebrate others. Celebrate the fact that he has given them gifts and abilities and talents to run in their lane and to bring him glory. You are also able to be more thankful, able to enjoy more of what God has blessed you with, the people that he's placed around you to love and support you and the gifts that he has given to us all. Your perspective changes, your view on life changes, and you become much more open to seeing things from God's perspective, not just only human perspectives. And all of this leads to us stepping into the true freedom that Jesus has for us and finding true fulfillment in our lives. We cannot find it through envying our neighbors. Jesus never said, church, come and follow me so that he could lead you into someone else's life. Jesus said, come and follow me so that I can lead you into your best life, a life that brings me much glory. God designed you to find your worth and your worth alone in Jesus and Jesus alone. So I urge you this morning, I charge you this morning, church, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, not of your neighbors, and that we find our validation, our acceptance, our love in Jesus. There is no winning comparison, and there is great liberation to be found in being exactly who God has created you to be. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? I'll start off the sermon by reading Hebrews 1. And I'm going to read to you Hebrews 1 again. And I'm going to add verse 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run. Let us run with endurance the race, has God, that, that, the race God has set before us. Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects 
our faith. Can we close our eyes? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for simple messages. We thank you that even in a simple message, Lord, that your power doesn't depart from it. And thank you, Lord, that this morning, I, I, I believe you want to, want to remind us not to get so caught up in the work of the, of the Lord, but rather to remember the Lord of the work. And Jesus, this morning, as your sons and daughters that you've given a race to run, we declare our eyes are on you. I pray, Father, will you help us? Will you give us the strength through you, Holy Spirit, to be able to run our race well in our lane? Will you teach us how to run the bend? Thank you, Lord, that you've given us, each one of us, each unique being that you've pieced together, your handiwork, your masterpiece, gifts, abilities, and talents to, to be able to run our race well and bring you much glory. I pray for a peace over us, Lord. I pray for a contentment within us that only comes from you. Jesus, you died so that you could bring us into a life of freedom and a life of abundance. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can find our validation and our acceptance in you, Jesus. And we declare this morning once again that our eyes are fixed on you. I pray that you come work mightily in us and through us as we run this race for you. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Amen.